The Pac-12 Conference is home to some of the most beautiful stadiums in the country. So why does it feel like so many of the players that play high school football in Pac-12 country don't want to play in them? We rank the top stadiums in the conference, as well as get into why so many of the players like to leave for other conferences in this edition of the Pac-12 Apostles podcast with George Reister and Ralph Amson. Torn up this week. Absolutely torn up this week because I was pissed off. I was pissed off because I saw the story where Colton Yankoff, who was a kid at a quarterback at the University of Washington, he wanted to transfer to UCLA, goes to go transfer. And so the way everybody understands the rules, if you are going to transfer within the conference, the school then has to uh, essentially rubber stamp a waiver saying that this player should be allowed to, to compete immediately. And then the NCAA reviews it, right or wrong. You know, they have their way that they do it. And that's you're either approved or you're not approved. A lot of times players do, when they do transfer within conference, coaches allow it. But Chris Peterson, The Washington Huskies will not rubber stamp the waiver to allow the NCAA to decide whether he should play immediately. It is wrong. It is weak. It's lame. And it's not because I hate Washington, because I like Chris Peterson. He was the wide receiver coach at Oregon when I was there. I don't dislike Chris Peterson. I dislike what Chris Peterson is doing. Millionaire coaches who leave whenever they want to leave, have zero right to dictate a player's future in this way. Because there's a finite amount of time and a window. UCLA is not stuck on and set on their starting quarterback right now. Maybe he could compete for the job because he damn sure can't do it at Washington because Jacob Eason transferred from University of Georgia up there. It is wrong. It is dirty. Washington doesn't even play for UCLA for two years. What is the point in this? Like, I understand. Oh, it's the rules. Just because it's a rule doesn't mean that it should not be changed. And the only way dumb rules like this get changed is when people make noise about it. When people say, you know what? I understand that this is a rule and this is the way it is. However, this is dumb as hell. Like, this is ridiculous. And there is no point in time that millionaire coaches should be blocking a kid or be afraid that he's somehow going to help their uh, hurt their program. Guess what? You're paid millions of dollars to overcome this. If not, then you're not as great as you said you were anyway. Now, Ralph, that's me casting stones. I what mean, I so real life Jay-Z walking in the room and walking back out gif is how I reacted to your mentions yesterday. I clicked on that tweet and I saw like 170 replies <laughs> and I was like, never mind. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to mind my own business <laughs> on this one. Uh, I typically side with the players and doing what's best for the player in most situations. I'm kind of an ideologue like that. And so it would be weird for me to reverse course and say that I think that it's a good idea for him to have his eligibility blocked and for that not to be left, you know, to the NCAA in the first place. You know, Washington has been on the other side of this um, where they had a transfer blocked altogether when Daryl Garrison was the uh, the quarterback at Utah State and had to play, you know, in in a backup role for, I think his name was Chucky Keaton. And it was like every year Chucky Keaton would play three games and then be out for the year. And Daryl would come in and he'd start the rest of the year. Uh, and so after he, you know, after Daryl played like 20 games, he decided he wanted to transfer and go to University of Washington because Keaton got an extra year of eligibility. And Utah State stepped in and they blocked the transfer because Utah State had Washington on their schedule. Garrettson ended up going to Oregon State and I think starting parts of two seasons at Oregon State there instead. And I've always thought that coaches going out of their way to do something like that has been sort of ridiculous. You know, like what's a backup quarterback go? What what difference is a backup quarterback going to make in Utah State's chances to beat Washington? You're either going to be able to beat them or not. 
And so in a situation where these teams aren't even playing each other and those games wouldn't even really be a factor because they don't, they're not part of Pac-12 North play, then go. I mean, going out of your way to say, no, you definitely have to sit out a year, um, it, it's silly to me. I don't necessarily agree with it or like the rule, uh, especially when, you know, Colson probably wouldn't have been he, I mean, he probably wouldn't have started anyway um, at UCLA. So it really feels like a thing you kind of have to go out of your way to do. And I'm also not a huge fan of just sort of the arbitrary lines that exist as far as, you know, transferring in conference or out of conference, FCS, FDS, whatever, because, you know, they, their offensive scout team player of the year two years ago, Daniel Bridge Gad, realized that he wasn't going to get an opportunity because they keep getting these high-ranking quarterbacks like Colson Yankoff and, uh, and you know, Jacob Eason coming back in, and he transfers to NAU, and they don't have a problem with him going to NAU because they're never going to play Washington. But what if he had decided to transfer to Utah or something like that? Would they have stepped in? And so I, I don't like inconsistency in those type of things. Uh, there's a lot of people in your mentions that were just like, hey, rules are rules, and this is their prerogative. Rules are rules. People are genuinely only like that when the rules don't adversely affect them. Um, but at the same time, they're not wrong. It is something that it is Washington's prerogative to go ahead and do that. And so I, I'm less mad at Chris Peterson than I am at just that being a possibility in the first place. Because with that being a possibility, you know, you're going to be tempted to to take that. Because what if you were a head coach? at one of these schools and one of the players that left was just somebody that you couldn't get along with. Like think the relationship between Jason Brown and, and Malik Henry on, on last chance you like, what if it was that kind of relationship? Wouldn't you be at least tempted to step yeah. in and make his life a little bit harder? And so you got to take those decisions, I think out of the hands of coaches in general. Um, but you know, sure. I'm not mad at Chris Peterson. Um, I would like to see more consistency just across the board and what people can do and why, you know, maybe half a season is, is the answer. Uh, and then, you know, and then you just sort of, um, no Ralph, you are wrong. The, the answer is what Jim Harbaugh said, give the players one free transfer for whatever reason you're the dog at your homework. You don't like the coach. You don't like your situation. Who cares? And then after that, then you get a one year, uh, then you have a one year sit out. I think that that is the optimal solution. Like there, there's no other way to, I, I mean, like, how can you argue against that? I mean, it, it takes it, it takes it out of the NCAA's hands. The way you don't have kids having to make up mental health issues to get a waiver. You don't have to have people lie and mis- uh all of this just to try to get eligible immediately. So that's what, so that's because what remember, is, is so you 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 set something in place. You set something in place like, yeah, you could say give them one free transfer, but I think that, that you have to find a way to strike a healthy balance because the one free transfer is something that would be abused just as much as the just as much as the appeal system is uh, now. You know, there I think there has Why? to be who, who there cares? has to be some type of concrete deterrent that everyone sort of agrees upon as being a social contract of saying, all right, I'm not going to make you miss a whole year. I'm also not going to make you jump through hoops and not tell the truth or anything like that. We have the grad transfer rule in place, which is your free transfer. It is a free transfer. You have the opportunity to open up your options. Uh, and go well, they're, they're, they're actually, the NCAA is trying to change that they rule shouldn't. now. So they're trying to I think change. That they should leave that as the way it is. But if you're, if you're somebody who goes through your freshman year and you want to transfer somewhere else, you should be able to go wherever you want. Just tell them, hey, six games. Yeah. And a lot of these teams are playing you know, 13, 14 game seasons. So that's not even technically half the season. And it gives the players who are on your roster, who were loyal, an opportunity to kind of lock down those jobs so that colleges don't become dependent well, on who's in the transfer the, portal. Well, here's the other thing is that players go to college to play college football. Some of them go for the university, but most of them are going to go play college football. And the coaches sell them on a bill of goods. And then as soon as a better recruit is like, hey, yo, coach, I'm thinking about coming to coming to UW. Okay, cool. Don't matter whether you thought you were the starter, you had earned the job. Now, all of a sudden, he got this other kid to come over. And now he's kind of beholden to that kid saying, oh, wait, I got him to transfer. I got to give him more of a shot. 
that that happens. That's why Justin Herbert didn't start as a true freshman at Oregon until uh, until they pulled Dakota Prokop because they got him to transfer over from uh, Montana or Eastern Washington, one of the two. And they didn't want his transfer to be for not. So they wanted to give him a, a, a legit shot. That's what Mark Helfrich did. And it didn't work, even though Mark, even though Justin Herbert was the best quarterback on the roster when the season started. And it, it's just completely like you can't abuse the system if the if you get one free transfer, everybody's not going to transfer in one year. And 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 guess what? In one year, the transfer portal, there was over fifteen hundred kids in it. So you're not going to have more than that move. I mean, like, I, if kids are going to move, they're going to move now. They're making up reasons. They're getting eligible. It happens. Like, like where Justin Fields transfers from Georgia, gets eligible at Ohio State. Right. Kid transfer. And to me, that should have been trans- out of the NCAA's hands altogether. Game seven or week seven. You can even make it week seven. He's He's automatically eligible, period. So the NCAA doesn't have to review anything that may or may not be true in the Tate Martell case, in the Justin Fields case. And also, players don't have to give a reason why they transfer. They don't have to play games in the media. They don't have to do anything. You have There is a price. There's a price to transfer. And if you're willing to pay it, you pay that price. And it keeps coaches from being able to interfere in that process and maybe take some of the incentive for lying to the kids to be able to stack your roster uh, away. Because you know that a kid doesn't have to have a reason to just leave. Yep. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it, Ralph. I I just don't like them having to sit out any amount of time. But we we were talking earlier about a lot of about recruiting. Recruiting is critical to winning. Yes. And winning national championships. If you want to win a national championship, the the stats and the statistics show that at least two years before that, you need to put together some top six classes. If you want to win a national championship, I didn't make the rules. This is just how it's working out. I can't give you, I can't say it's impossible, but this is the way it's been working out. So if you look at like the Pac-12 and the the way it's perceived nationally, oh, the SEC is such a powerhouse, even though they don't play anybody in the non-conference on a regular basis and won't venture out of their state and comfort zone and all of that. Forget that. The way the Pac-12 is perceived is the third, fourth, third, fourth, fifth best conference. So now recruits are saying, "Ooh, if I want to get to the league, because this is what the SEC people tell you. If you want to get to the league, come to the SEC. You want to go to the league, come to the Big Ten. We got you. And last year, the Pac-12 did not do well in the First round of the NFL draft. So now you're sitting there looking like, ooh, ooh, is this really what I should do? And the recruiting sites and recruiting rankings and results are showing that. Like, like uh, you you had some crazy stats, Ralph, about how many of the top recruits from the conference are going where? Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough right now. Um, there are 64 players who are ranked four-star or above by rivals that are either in a state where a Pac-12 school is or border a state where a Pac-12 school is. And so uh, of those 64 players, 24 of them currently are verbally committed to schools outside the Pac-12 conference. 18 of them have pledged to stay within the conference, Okay, 14 of those from the state of California alone, and 22 are undecided. So as it stands right now, far more players are leaving the conference altogether from the Pac-12's recruiting footprint than are choosing to stay. And that's a huge concern, especially in a place like Arizona, where I cover, and there's 12 players in the class of 2020, our deepest ever, that are ranked four-star or above by rivals. Yeah, and the, and the leading players. Yet. Yeah, and, and the leading one is, what, what's his name, Keely Ringo? Keely Ringo, best cornerback in the country, maybe outside of Elias Ricks, who is in California and also decided to go to LSU. Keely Ringo's probably going to end up at Georgia, so he's one of the undecided kids right now. But of those 12 Arizona kids, 
Zero have said they'll stay. Five are undecided. One of them is Ringo, and he'll probably go to Georgia. And seven of them have decided to leave the conference altogether. So no one said they're going to Oregon yet. No one said they're going to Washington yet. No one said they're going to USC. And USC's probably have put together their worst recruiting class of all time, uh, or the, of, of my of the rankings era that I can remember right now. And 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 it's because a lot of the guys that live nearby aren't going to the school and the good guys that they are getting are people who have bounced back from, you know, Texas, like Brew McCoy did and Chris Steele from Florida, you know? And so they're, they're having to rely on guys who leave to go elsewhere and find out the grass isn't greener. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a, it's a scary thing right now. You and I have talked about the fact that three places to get recruits are Florida, California, and Texas. And if these schools aren't able to get the best out of, uh, of out of California, well, you look at Texas, and nobody in the top fifty in Texas right now is committed to a Pac-12 school. Yeah, no one. Yeah, I know that's that's crazy. There's there's still a lot of time left. There will probably be some, but with the early signing day, you're you get so many more kids really, you know, making their mind up early. And when you look at the top, you know, like the top twenty-five recruits according to different sites they're pretty much all around the uh, same but you got justin Flo, who's from upland like that used to be a guaranteed get for usc uh you got you got the kid that we talked about keely ringo out of arizona used to be a guaranteed pac-12 get there's darnell washington uh athlete from uh from las vegas he's going to alabama or georgia you got DJ Eagle Leggy, I for completely messed up his name. Yeah, the next Cam Newton, and he's going to Clemson. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's so many of them, and you're just saying, like, this is critical for the Pac-12. Critical. I mean, you you have to look out of the top 25 recruits, according to Rivals in 24-7. The first one that you're going to get to that's probably going to end up at a Pac-12 school, which is likely to end up at a Pac-12 school, you probably have to get all the way down to number 23 at Noah Sewell. The, right, and that, and that uh, it helps that he's got a sibling. His bro- yeah, his brother is the left tackle for Oregon. So, and I think so. Oregon's probably the only school that you can leave out of this conversation right now. Maybe Oregon and a little bit of Washington right, that are actually still managing to have enough success that makes you believe that they could be competitive on a national level. Oregon's class right now is, it's not only impressive, but they've also got two of the top 25 kids coming out of the state of Florida. And so, you know, they've kept their connections down there. They're doing a really good job putting together a very solid recruiting class, but they shouldn't be standing alone in doing that. University of Washington isn't even being considered by some guys who have very, very obvious Washington ties. Keely Ringo lived in Seattle before he moved to Arizona. Why wouldn't the school that's been putting the most defensive backs in the NFL be in his top four? You know, that's crazy to think about. You know, you have Bajan Robinson, who grew up a USC fan watching Reggie Bush. Why is he going to University of Texas instead of USC when he lives in Tucson, why why are Arizona's top two ranked quarterbacks going to Ohio State and Michigan? And why did the top ranked quarterback in the country out of the state of Arizona last year go to Oklahoma? Why is everybody leaving? And that it's becoming I mean, you'll see the quality of play over time start to dip if this trend continues, especially when you're talking about half of the half of the players that are four star above in this region, over half deciding to leave the region completely. Let me tell you how outrageous this is. So Clemson is doing the best recruiting job, period, right now. Like, they may end up with the top number one, two, three, and four out of the class. And then the quarterback, DJ, I mean, like, their list of of accolades and recruiting right now is unbelievable. Dabo's doing a ridiculous job. But when you look, you don't even get to a Pac-12 team until you get to number 13 at Oregon. I mean, they, they'll they probably finish with another top 10 class, but still, Washington ranks in at 20. Then you got then you got to scroll all the way down. Stanford at 29. Cal at 38. Arizona State at 39. Do you, Colorado at 43. 
Do you know who's after Colorado right now? USC is sitting at number 60 in (laughs) recruiting. They only have 10 commits right now. Number 60. Do you realize how asinine that is? USC was signing top 10 classes when they were on probation. And on the on the rival side of things, USC is sitting at number sixty six, sandwiched in between Duke and Virginia. Oh, nice, nice, even 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 better. Hey, this is how critical that we that this situation is. You talked about in the last episode about that this is mass general right now. That the conference is in a place is in a space where it's like it is desperately holding on. And it is important that Pac-12 fans understand this. As good as the conference has been historically, the fact that it's not available everywhere because people respond to marketing, people respond to television. Like This is the reason why people think the tele- people who are on television are experts because they watch the television and they see them. So they're like, oh, if they put them on television, they must know what they're talking about. So in college football, the people who are on television the most, SEC, Big Ten, those are the people who are on TV the absolute most. So guess what recruits see? They're like, oh, that." and then the people who, the networks who are, aligned aligned with them the biggest are like this is the best conference this is the best conference so you hear that on college game day enough guess what you start to believe well and then i mean if you see someone type the number 69 on twitter what are the first 20 comments all gonna say (laughs) ha ha that's what that's what she said or or he's gonna say nice right yep everyone's just gonna say nice you know what's decidedly not nice that three teams are tied for 69th in the rivals rankings and they're Arizona, Oregon state and Washington state, all pack 12 teams. One of which is coached by Kevin Sumlin who had several top 10 recruiting classes at Texas A&M and can't even get Arizona into the forties. And I know it's early, but can't even get Arizona into the forties as far as the recruiting class rankings. Like this is it's it's, it matters. Three years from now, the performance of your team will usually average out to how you did in getting these kids. If people say rankings don't matter, then how come the teams that are always at the top of this list are almost always competing for national championships and conference championships? Almost always. And so, you know, it's it's something that, that the Pac-12 needs to be really concerned about. Because do you know who's number 26 right now? Kansas. Because they got 23 commits already in their class. Why is Kansas having an easier time getting players than Oregon State? Why? You know, it's not something that you can really easily explain, you know, that why the worst team in the Big 12 is having an easier time getting getting recruits than the worst team in the Pac-12. You know, it shouldn't be that way. You're, you should sort of match up. Your best should match up with other conferences best. Your middle 100%. should match up with other conferences middle. And the worst should match up with the worst. And right now, the worst in the Pac-12 is having a much harder time than the worst anywhere else. I 100% agree with you, Ralph. And it is time for us to do the 12, Ralph. The Pac-12 is home to some of the most beautiful stadiums and some of the most storied stadiums in college football history. I mean, like you have the Rose Bowl, you have the Coliseum and so many of the the universities that are in smaller college towns are on some of the loudest stadium list in the entire country. So we're going to rank them on this edition of the 12 on the Pac-12 Apostles. So here's the list. Who's sitting in the Judas spot? Who is sitting in the 12 seat for you? Well, oh man, it's going to sound like I'm biased. Uh, but the truth is, I, you know, I've been there a million times. And uh, uh, <laughs> University of Arizona's Arizona Stadium for me comes in at the Judas spot. It's, it's, it's bringing up number 12. And one of the big reasons for that is that, you know, there are a lot of factors. You know, we talk about... We talk about, you know, not just ranking cars by how they look and how they drive, but who who the one driving them is. And uh, 
University of Arizona has never been to a Rose Bowl. They've had some really good teams. That Desert Storm defense is one that I think back fondly on. You know, Lance Briggs, Antonio Pierce, and, and, and all that. Um, but the truth is, you know, I've been out there to this stadium. They got the signs posted up that says, like, you know, don't feed the bats or whatever. You know, I've, I've been in there. I've been in there with people who the, thought the bathroom lines were too long and you can sort of sneak underneath the elevator column and, you know, and, 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 and take, take a leak under the bleachers. Uh, you know, the turf is, the turf is cool uh, for a lot of stadiums, but the truth is, um, you know, you're out in the middle of Arizona, you're getting plenty of sun, you know, something about playing on grass is just a little bit better. Um, for me, the surrounding area isn't all that great. Uh, there's There hasn't been a lot of really memorable performances of other teams coming in and visiting. You know, people don't really get excited to come in and play at University of Arizona. Tucson's got some really, really nice areas, um, but not necessarily where the stadium is. You know, that when I think of University of Arizona uh, Stadium, I think of the, the only thing across this, just that Circle K, um, that's right there, right across the street, uh, where people kind of party and hang out in front of a Circle K. Um, tailgating there is kind of pretty cool, um, but it, just as far as the stadium goes and the feel and the fact that you just you, you get destroyed by the sun out there and that it's not real grass and that the crowd doesn't always show up, I've got Arizona Stadium in my number 12 spot. Wow. Wow. Ralph, you are going to be accused of of all types of Arizona hate. I do not have Arizona in the Judas spot. I have Stanford at number 12 in the Judas spot. Because no matter how great Stanford is, Stanford could have the number one team in the country and they won't sell out. I know that they have a big stadium. What is it like almost 90,000? It's huge. But like no matter, I mean, Stanford could literally have the number one team in the country, and they wouldn't sell out, and the and the crowd would not be loud. I mean, the the interest is not just there. The school doesn't support it as much as it should. That's why Stanford comes in at number twelve for me. It's just like there's no ambiance. There's nothing to remember. It is super forgettable when you go up in there. Like, it's nice, it's cool, but, like, you're not going to leave and say, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait to get back to Stanford Stadium. Nobody says that. Like, nobody's like, oh, man, I got to get back to Stanford. That was amazing. Yo, if you're a college football fan, you have to catch a game at Stanford. Nobody has ever said that. That's why Stanford comes in at number 12 for me. Who you got at 11, Ralph? I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you that. I'll say, I'll say Stanford. I like the bowl look. Um, I, so I, there, the aesthetic of it is nice. They've been playing there for a really long time. They're going to have a hard time selling out because their enrollment is 6,500 less than the next school. And that's going to sound like a weird excuse because obviously, you know, university of Oregon is, I, I think second on that list and they don't have a hard time getting people in there for good games. Um, I, but I, I do like the bowl look. I like sort of the amount of, I, I think that the end zone seats, second deck are, uh, are actually kind of pretty nice. Um, you know, I, I like the, uh, the end zone, just the big white block Stanford letters, uh, in the end zone. I kind of like that, you know, what to expect. Um, but it, there's nothing spectacular about it. There's nothing that really stands out. I went to the stadium for the first time, um, last year. Uh, and I, I, I gotta say that, um, I like that sort of athletic village, uh, where everything is located, but there wasn't really anything about that stadium that, uh, uh, that really stood out to me. I know didn't they, they had a they had a Super Bowl out there in the late '80s, and not really much else has gone on there since. And so I'll I'll I'll, I'll keep them out of the Judas spot, but I will give them number eleven. Uh, number eleven for me. I'm staying in the Bay Area. I got Cal at number eleven. Cal, yes, they're doing a renovation on the stadium. All it is, but it it's a it was a dump, dude, and. The fans don't show up either there. Like, this is not a case where, like, Stanford fans are much better than, I'm sorry, Cal fans are much better than Stanford fans. So I do not want to put these people in the same boat, two different types of people. And when Cal is good, the crowd does have a little bit of an impact on the outcome of the game. But Cal hasn't really put together enough 
consecutive years of having a really good team, which they're trying to do now. So this year, if Cal fans show up and show out, they will have an opportunity to move up the list. I'll 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 uh, I'll keep in in tradition with you here, and I'll say uh, that that Cal for me comes in at number ten. Although I really do like the surrounding landscape, it's sort of got a Arizona State University feel with like the butte uh, intruding onto the stadium. Also, the Rose Bowl is kind of like that. Um, the the we- the weather is good. The field looks good. Uh, so I can't I can't hate it. They've done sort of a lot of renovations. I mean, they're just fresh off a huge one just like 10 years ago that lasted several years. And so, I mean, the fact that they feel like they still need to keep doing this is, um, you know, it's it's not so great. Uh, the, the the play on the field hasn't been all that good. You know, the, it, it was definitely fun you know, watching Jared Goff out there, but they weren't able to do all that much um, with him. Uh, the I, I, the fans are probably my favorite part, um, and uh, and unfortunately I won't be able to get out there for that Arizona State Cal game this year because it's being played on a Friday night, which is absolute insanity. Uh, the college football belongs on Saturdays, um, but I, you know I, I will say that uh, I will say that there are things that I like, especially the the surrounding landscape, the surrounding area uh, is, is is very beautiful. Um, and the fans are good. The ones who show up are, are, are good, but they're still sitting at like a 63,000 seat capacity in a stadium that would probably be better to have maybe 45,000 if we're being honest. 100%. Um, and at number 10, I have Colorado at number 10. Ouch. Yeah, I mean, Boulder. First of all, city's cool, good food there got it's got some stuff going for it but since they've been in the pac 12 they've had zero impact on winning and losing the fans don't have a whole lot to cheer about and this is a team this is a city to where when the team is good these are great fans they're not kind of good they are great fans they have they rallied behind their team for a long time when they were in the big 12 and now they need Mel Tucker and his crew need to put a good product on the field. And this will be one of the better home field advantages in the Pac-12 because there, there's altitude. There is a um, hostile environment. Like it's got a lot of potential. But for right now, they stay at the 10 spot. Okay. Uh, I'll come in. I'll come in with number nine, Martin Stadium. Uh, at Washington State University in Poland. What? Yeah, yeah. You I, have Washington State at number nine. I do, I do, and I and, and that's not to say that you know I'm I'm hating on it or anything like that. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of that part of the country. Uh, I've, I've won several national championships in the Kibbe Dome of the University of Idaho, just a few miles down the road in NCAA football. And so, uh, I, I mean, there are a couple of things that I really like. The Rogers Field area right west of the stadium is pretty cool. Uh, the fact that it's super intimate and only seats 30-some thousand is kind of nice. On a cold winter day where there's no snow or anything like that, it can be a pretty intimidating and awesome place to play. Uh, obviously, you know, they have turf because they kind of have to. Um, but, uh, I mean, I it's not incredibly remarkable for me. It's essentially an FCS stadium at the FBS level, right? And so there can be some mystique there, but just in the state of Washington alone, I'd rather have a more unique experience of watching a game at Eastern Washington on a red field, you know, or, or be in Seattle in the middle of a bustling metropolitan area that still really respects the, you know, the tradition of football, um, you know, it's, it's cool that it's probably the most, no, I like the college towns and we'll get into that a little bit more later that, and that's probably my, my actual favorite thing about this stadium is that it's part of the actual campus. I think it's interesting that, you know, Mike Leach went from Texas tech to Pullman where, you know, the campuses are sort of structured the exact same where everything is sort of, you know, built around, uh, the athletic complexes. Um, but yeah, there's nothing special to me. I got family in Spokane. I'm up there all the time. And, and it's just, a, it's FCS stadium at an FBS level. Like it, I go to a North Dakota state game over a, a game in Pullman. And that's not, it's not a disrespect. It's still a lot of fun, but there's nothing remarkable in comparison to the other stadiums in the Pac-12. 
Okay. Number nine, I have Arizona State. Arizona State Stadium sits in number nine spot on the 12 because it's it's like I don't from my experience playing there I've been two games there and I've also played there I played there against the Arizona Cardinals I played there with the Oregon Ducks like that this is a stadium to where there is it doesn't really have a big impact on winning and losing aside from if it's, if you play a day game, if uh, the, the uh, Arizona state fans are loud, they are committed. I like the fans because we're going to rank the fans on another episode. So this is not the fans. This is just a stadium and their, and their stadium is just okay. Like I don't, I don't think it's anything remarkable. However, it is better than Colorado's in terms of, impact on winning and losing Cal and Stanford as well. Like it it is way better than all of those three at this point in time. I got ASU at number nine. All right. All right. ASU at number nine. So that brings me to my number eight. Uh, And for my number eight, I'm probably, Oh, this is awful. Cause I, I, they, they, they belong higher, but this is in comparison to everything else that, you know, that I've seen in the Pac-12. And I'm going to go Research Stadium uh, in Corvallis for my oh, number eight. Oh, Stadium. Yeah, it's uh, I. You know what? I, the I really kind of like the way that the stadium is structured. Um, it is unique, right? And that's that's one of the really really cool things about it. It's like at sea level, which is pretty wild if you play in you know Salt Lake City to then have to go you know, play special teams or something like that, uh, you know, 7,000 feet below where you're used to. And so, you know, it's super unique in, in that way. Uh, you know, they played on AstroTurf for a really long time, which was, yep. which was pretty funny. Um, the, the panel, like the, the, the high school, like bleacher section uh, that juts out from the rest of the, the stadium is, is sort of jarring. Um, uh, and, and also like the stadium, just looking like a giant bowl of Halloween taffy when it's full of <laughs> students wearing like orange, black, and white is pretty cool. Um, and it just, it, it's a really great looking stadium at night. It's also a really great looking stadium just when it's empty. Um, but I mean, uh, the, it's much better since the renovation. Yeah. Though. The fans that show up do a great job. I have a feeling that they show up and do a great job. There's not really much else to be doing. Um, I, I love, I do love the college atmosphere. This definitely makes me seem like a hater of college towns uh, when, when all else is sort of put together. Um, I also love that they, that it used to be a much smaller stadium. They've expanded it over time. And now that, you know, might be start time. They, I, they could probably actually sustain a 44,000 seat stadium from here until, uh, until the end of time, but just not a lot of meaningful. I mean, come up with the best game you've ever think, you know, was played there. And it's, it's just not, you know, there, it's not going to be in your list of if we did a 12 on best pack 12 games ever played, they're not going to have any on there. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's fun, but there's nothing that would put it above the other seven schools I have on my list. Number eight for me is university of Arizona. I may have a, it's only number eight, but I, I've, this stadium probably has a near and dear place to my heart because it's the first touchdown that I ever caught was in Arizona Stadium. Okay. And and Arizona was pretty good at the time. Their crowd was pretty hostile. So my experience playing there was was Arizona being super competitive. And we were really good at the time. So Arizona also wanted to... You know, when you're one of the best teams in the Pac-12, I think we won the Pac-12 twice and tied once while I was there. So when you're the upper echelon teams, you get everybody's best shot. So I got a chance to see a lot of the best parts of these stadiums, and I got a chance to see the best part of Arizona Stadium as a player. And I've been down there to go see Oregon play after, and the the fans show up particularly for that Oregon game. Like, I haven't seen 
Arizona play Washington State in Arizona. So my experience is the best part of Arizona. So that's why I got them at number eight. You're going to love this one. Uh, my number seven is Memorial Coliseum in L.A. Okay. I don't uh, I don't care for it. I've I've never I've never really liked it's it's like a giant it reminds me of a of a, a steroided up uh, California high school stadium because they're of the way that they're all sort of like bowls um, the the stuff with the Coliseum with like the pillars out front and everything like that that's that's really cool and incredibly unique um, but the rest of it it just it just I don't know I'm I'm not a huge fan of L A in general. And it feels very L.A., like a concrete jungle. The football is usually always pretty good. You're going to get a great show there. Um, but, again, some of my favorite places to watch a concert, you know, they look like dumps, but the sound guy is really good. And, you know, the, the couple of times that I've been out there, they're in the middle of a huge renovation right now, so it hasn't been the most positive experience media-wise. Um you know, the, the, the surrounding area is actually probably my favorite part of it. You, I hear a lot of people sort of, you know, hate on the fact that it's, it's a little bit, you know, urban and right in the middle of, I actually like that. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, I, I love people out there just charging people to park in your, in your driveway or whatever, <laughs> but, but the actual stadium itself, like, uh, come on, you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen plenty. If, if we're going to be in LA watching football, you know, I, I, I want some amenities. Uh, I hate to be bougie or fancy or whatever, um, but it's just a, you know, it's just a bowl uh, with a bunch you of people. Are, the, you are a big scenery. city guy, Ralph. You are not a man of the people. You are a so, big but, city man. But it's you're okay. saying that, but I'm, still, I'm okay. still putting the biggest city stadium at number seven, you know, and I, I don't know. I just, okay, there's, there's, there's okay. nothing about being there besides the play on the field that, I mean, if, if any other team was that good, if you put that level of play in Boulder or in Utah, I'd, I'd have a much better time than I do when, when I'm out at the Coliseum. Okay. Number seven for me, I got Research Stadium, Salad Bowl Stadium in Corvallis. The The reason why it's low on this list, actually, it probably it could have been lower, except for the fan experience is, like, they have incredible fans. The people who love the Beavers are real Beaver fans. They're, there's no bandwagon because there's nothing to jump on. So you have to be committed and you have to be committed to live in Corvallis, Oregon. In Oregon, Oregon Ducks are the big dog. So for people to be committed to Oregon State, these are loyal people who don't give up in the tough times. And I play and I played against them when they were good, when they had TJ Hushmanzada, Chad, uh, yeah, Chad Owens. I'm well, Chad Owens. I forgot. The, yeah, I forgot his name. That's how crazy it is. He's been Ocho. He's been Ocho Cinco for so long. Uh, Chad Johnson. When they had him, they had you know so many uh, Ken Simonton, all these OGs from Oregon State, and the stadium was rocking. This was even when it was little, and it created a significant home field advantage. That's why I put Research Stadium and Salad Bowl Stadium at the number seven spot. My number six, so we're getting into the top half, uh, Sun Devil Stadium, the one I've been to probably more than any other stadium anywhere in the world. And I, I think the reason that I have it lower on my list is it just sort of it's got some identity issues right now. Like uh, pl playing in between the buttes is a really cool thing. The fact that it's an open-air stadium with natural grass is something that I absolutely love. I grew up going to it when it was just sort of ghetto, 77,000 seats, all bleachers, good fry and egg out there. They had just all the only thing separating you and the players was a chain-link fence. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff cracked me up. Like, I, I, I loved that it sort of had that identity. And now, like much of Tempe and much of Arizona, you know, the money came in and modernized everything. Um, so that, I mean, they got state of the art, everything there. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, it's an absolute brand new place. They got a bunch of sky boxes where you can just hang out with people and not even watch the game, which I don't think really contributes to the best, um, the best stadium atmosphere. They just killed an experiment where they split the student section, put half of it in one end zone and half of it in the other. Oh no, that, that was that... maybe getting a little bit too cute. And so they had to move that back. 
They removed 30,000 seats. And so a bunch of people who had sat in a certain place for 10, 20 years all sort of got displaced. So that's a little bit annoying. Um, oh, with all these Debbie Downers, they should not be at number six on the list. They should be at like number, they should be near, but, near Judas level. But I'll give you this. Here are the two things that are my absolute favorite about this stadium. Uh, thing number one is it's got, for me, it's the best playing surface in the whole conference. They, I mean, and, and the guy who's in charge of, you know, doing the grass out there is somebody who gets to work on like every single Super Bowl. Uh, and train people all over the country. So the the natural grass is fantastic. Um, <laughs> the the thing that I've always cracked up about is it's right underneath the airport. So you get flyovers all game long. Yeah. And if somebody scores a touchdown while a plane's flying overhead, you got people firing off fireworks from the mountain right underneath the 747, which is always a little bit of a spectacle and, and, and cracks me nice. up. Nice. And then and and the addition of the the statue of Tillman in the end zone is one of those things that I think is, you know, 20 years from now, uh, people are going to be talking about, you know, people who played in the stadium and scored a touchdown in that end zone, you know, and just like looking Pat Tillman in the eye after you score a touchdown, you know, those are some pretty incredible things. And so there's a lot of good. And I, I'm, I'm watching the stadium transition, uh, the sort of glow up as the kids say, and, uh, and, and I'm probably more of a fan of when it, 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 there were, there was less money involved. Um, but just the playing surface alone and just a night game out there, uh, can, can be pretty fantastic. So that's why I got it. Number six. Okay. My number six team is your number 17 Memorial Coliseum, USC Trojans, where they play, where you think Arizona state has the best playing surface. I think USC has the best playing surface. They're one of the few fields. Um, if, if you've never been on a football field, there's a such thing as a crown. Pretty much all stadiums have a crown in the center of the field. So like where it's raised up a little bit in the center. And USC is the most flat field I've ever been on. And the first time I stepped in that stadium, ran around, I was like, wow, this is like, it's nice. Like it's, like the grass was so nice. It was fast. The only problem I have with USC is it is quiet as a church mouse in there. Unless USC scores a touchdown, it is a church mouse. You will have people in there. If you were to stand up all game, people would say, sit down. Can you please sit down? Can you please sit down the way we can see? No, stand up. It's a damn football game. Like I do not understand why fans in certain places, want you to sit down during a football game. I understand you paid for your seats, but this is a college game. Get excited. Be fanatical. Like, stand up. Like, if like try going to uh, the teams at the top five on this list, on my list. If you try to stand up, I'm sorry, if you try to uh, sit down all game, you won't see the game except for one, except for one place. You will not see the game. So that's why USC is at number six. I have, uh, I've, I've got Folsom Field in Boulder in my number five. I, I know you had them low. Yes, um, I had them at number 10. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got them at five. Uh, there are two things. There are two things about this stadium that are just flat out dangerous. Uh, it really feels like the backfield house is about to collapse. And, um, and when you are actually playing on the field or on the sideline, if you're on the bench and you're standing on the sideline, it's only about two yards between you and the crowd. So, I mean, the, those two things are, are, are a little bit iffy when it comes to the construction of the stadium. We saw Nikhil Harry get blown up last year and injured when a player had no choice but to run behind the entire bench on a punt. And came, you know, came off the bench and just blew up Nikhil Harry on the sideline, knocked him out of the game. You know, that that kind of stuff is not so great. Um, but what is great is you really can't get anything like this stadium anywhere else. Uh, it's all brick, um, which is is just a really, really cool aesthetic from the outside. Um, and then, you know, you have the mountains in the background. Uh, the Boulder's a pretty wild place. It is a college town, even though there's maybe a little bit more money uh, in Boulder than there is in a lot of other college towns. It's still a really, really good time. And especially when 
uh, there's any inkling that this team might be any good at all. Uh, you know, they, they, they really, really have a good time out there. And, and what's even more fun is when they're not very good, the fans that do show up are still loud and rowdy and, you know, and crazy and yeah, everything but like only that. So how, how loud 20,000 people can be. Ah, uh, yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. You know, they, they, they do bring it, um, you know, in the, the, the last few years, they've still had a uh, pretty decent crowd sizes, um, you know, 46 and 47,000 in 2016 and 2017, uh, which were pretty big jumps from uh, McIntyre's first three years there. Uh, and so, you know, the, when they are winning, they definitely do show up. Uh, and I think anytime that you have more than 45,000 fans in that stadium, it's just awesome. And then running Ralphie is, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get anything like that, that anywhere else. So, I mean, I, that, that's, I, no matter how many times I've been, I've covered three games out there. I've been to other games in that stadium. Everybody is just totally, you know, it's, you could hear a pin drop when that Buffalo comes out on the field. So, um, you know, I, I, for, for those reasons, that's my number five. I may have not given them enough credit for, for Ralphie. I did not consider Ralphie because that is a unique fan experience. My number five, though, is Husky Stadium, the Washington Huskies. They got a, they got a, they got a nice new stadium. It's cute. It's pretty. It's loud. <laughs> it's, it's loud. Uh, it rains there. You know, like, and there is a significant home field advantage there. I, it, it is loud. It is like their their fans are rabid. They're rude. They are all the things that you want out of your fans. And they do a really good job. And the team's really good right now. So, of course, they are they are super excited about that. So, that just brings another, like, this stadium has a lot of intangibles. Only downside, you know, it's a little bit cold, but who cares? It's football. And the and then the you know and then the obvious thing it is Washington it is it it is the Huskies but I'm not gonna rank their stadium any lower just just because they are the Huskies. But doesn't do you think that hostility it should be part of the appeal? I mean, yes, for sure. That's that's part of the reason why they're so high on the list. They have a new stadium and they're still high on the list. Like that's the thing. This isn't a. You know, like a fifty-year-old historic stadium. No, this this thing this thing has still got the new car smell on it. I would say, I mean, yeah, there, there. I'm I'm struggling here because I wanna I wanna have Washington even higher um, than I do. Uh, and, and to me, I think any anybody who's in the top six is you know these are all really great. They're all really great places to watch football. It's just a matter of what you're personal opinion is but I guess I'll go ahead and put Husky Stadium at my number four even though I'm I'm tempted to put them even higher because whoever designed this stadium putting 70% of the people that sit in your stadium in between the end zones was a hell of an idea like that place gets loud 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 and I mean it it does rain so you don't really get like the snow but it, it can get really really cold uh, I mean, if you don't come into that place ready to play, you're going to get your butt kicked. And it's just the the advantage that's designed, uh, that, that's there because of the design of the stadium, the fact that the fans are into it, even though they had a really, really putrid stretch not that long ago, the fans are still really, really into the games. Um, the color scheme is pretty cool. Where else are you going to get just a giant, you know, wave of of, of purple and gold? Uh, and, and, and the way it clashes against a green field is always pretty unique. Um, surrounding area is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, uh, it's, it, the fact that you can have a big city and a college feel is really cool. You know, they bring that Seattle Seahawks energy, yep. not having that team anymore. They, they, you know, it's maybe one of the only places I've seen that dispersed all that energy they had for their pro basketball team into every other thing that they had going yep. on. Um, and so, you know, I, I would, I'd, I'd do anything at that stadium, a concert, um, monster trucks, whatever, just any excuse to be out there well, uh, would be fantastic. And that city has something in common with a lot of the other places. It is a big city, huge metropolis, big, big city. Route. <laughs> big city route. Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. You'll see when you see my top three, but I will say that the, the only downside would be when you're there, it feels like you're at a professional yeah. game. Yep. 
So that 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 to me would be the only thing keeping it from being in my top three is I've never I've always went to to games at University of Washington and thought to myself, oh, we're playing like a neutral site game. Yeah. Oh, like this is a pro yeah. stadium. Yeah, that may that makes sense. Uh, at number four, I have Martin Stadium in the Palouse in Pullman, Washington, the Washington State Huskies. Uh, the Washington State Huskies. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the Washington State Cougars. They are – this stadium, mind you, when I was at Oregon, we played there three years in a row. Three years in a row in November. Tell me how the Pac-10 at that point in time schedule allowed that to happen. And we played there three years in a row. So I'm very, very familiar with this stadium. It is small. It is intimate. But these people – like the the fan experience there is pretty incredible because they play better there than they do anywhere else. And there is a bigger home field. I think that they have one of the biggest home field advantages in the entire Pac-12. That a game against Washington State, it is totally different whether they're playing in in Pullman or whether they're playing in L.A., Eugene, Arizona, that it has a significant impact on winning and losing. That's why, even though it's small, even though it's difficult to get to, they're still number four on the list. All right. My, my number three, uh, you'd be familiar with, it's Austin. Uh, oh, stop it, Ralph. Stop they could, it. They, they could, I mean, stop. they could easily be number one. Uh, okay, so they, as they should be. Okay, and I and I feel you on that. And, and there are some things that I really like about uh, Autzen. It's uh, it's modern, and at the same time, still feels like a collegiate environment. So that's what gave it the edge for me over Husky Stadium. Um, and by modern, I mean like extra modern. Like there's like a swimming pool in the parking garage. <laughs> so you know they they have all the amenities. The practice field is absolutely beautiful. The like the <laughs> where all the players are you know listed in stone like it's some kind of a uh, war memorial when you're yep. walking into the stadium you know that's absolutely fantastic uh i'm not a big this I, people kill me for this i don't care i'm not a big fan of eugene and so the only downside for this stadium for me has always been and and take this from somebody who you know grew up outside a trailer park and who grew up in a town very similar to eugene uh this has always been a lamborghini in a trailer park for me like it has always been the most beautiful incredible thing in the world and it's really, really, really fantastic. But also, how did it get there? Like, and it's, I guess it's a credit to the surrounding community and everything like that. But, you know, I just, I've, I've never been a big fan of Eugene as a whole in comparison to other college towns. And so it's just one of those things where it feels like uh, you ever see somebody win the lottery, but they still, <laughs> they still have those they still have those poor dad tendencies but they're out yeah, there man, you can take life. the boy out the hood you can't yeah, take yeah, the yeah. hood out the boy yeah so you just i mean i'm driving through a town of a bunch of people who look like they're out of humboldt Ca- county uh california which are cool like those are my people and i love them but it's a weird thing to mix with like big time football okay. and so i mean that's the only drawback for me because as as a whole the stadium the playing environment the way that it mixes you know the modern and still the collegiate environment um i you don't get better than those things. And so it, it could be no it could be number one for me if I just didn't, you know, grow up in a place like Eugene and not just really care for it all that much, I guess. Oh God. Big city, <laughs> big city Ralph. Okay. Um I, at number three, I have Utah Stadium. Utah Stadium is absolutely um it is I think the biggest in Rice Eccles Stadium has the biggest home field advantage in the Pac-12. It has the biggest difference in winning and losing. The the fans are basically sitting on the stadium. I mean, it it's closer than Autzen Stadium used to be. Like they are on top of the players. If they wanted to hurt the players, hit the players in the top of the head, they could do that. From the from the first row. Maybe maybe from the second row of the seats. I, th- this stadium is loud. Playing night games there is incredible. The altitude is a factor. I mean, Utah has proven that they are not the same on the road as they are at home because it's such a big advantage. That's why Utah comes in at number three for me. Okay. 
Uh, my number two is the Rose Bowl. And uh, and I think that that explains itself. It is what it is, you know. Uh, the the color scheme, the weather, the the field, uh, the feel of the stadium, the amount of people there. I guess the only drawback would be that you know people don't always show up to the games. But like even being in a quiet stadium out there is a treat and a privilege. Um, the press box situation is kind of weird, but it's super unique in that it's like angled. Uh, to where you're sort of in a corner of a, of an end zone yeah. looking down. Um, it's just, a, I just, a, everything, it's hard to be mad when you're in that stadium. It really is. I mean, even if you're getting beat, <laughs> like life couldn't be better. I'm in Southern California. You know, I got the, I'm, I'm looking out at the trees and, you know, there's just something calming about the, 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 the baby blue and the gold and all that, the, you know, I just I really like it. It's it's and then it's all the history that comes along with it, and the fact that it, that's just goals, right? If you're in the Pac-12, that's where you want to get uh, at the at the end of the season. And so all of those memories are built in. I'm sure if the Rose Bowl, you know, was uh, was actually something that was like the Coliseum Bowl all this time, then I'd have them ranked a lot higher just because of the memories that that go along with it. But some of the best football I've ever seen played all happened in that stadium. Um, so for me, they're number two. Yeah, for me, number number two is Eugene, Eugene, Oregon, the Oregon Ducks. There is there is such a big home field advantage in Autzen Stadium. It never rains in Autzen Stadium. the The PA announcer will tell you that even when it's pouring down, raining outside. And there, there's so much history. There have been so, so many important games played there in the last 15, 20 years. And some of the most important games that the Pac-12 have been played on that field. And there's a history of players. The team has been fantastic. The fans have showed up and showed out. It is one of the best stadiums, not only in the – in the Pac-12, but in the entire country. Like, this is one of those stadiums that you point to and you say, you have to go there. You have to catch a game there, especially if it's a night game. It is going stupid. Like, it is going incredible. Uh, Austin Stadium, it, in terms of overall experience, it's number one, but it falls number two on the stadium list, though. I guess that brings me to my to my number one. Uh, it's the newest school in the Pac-12, but the oldest college in the conference, and that is uh, University of Utah and Rice Eccles Stadium. I knew you. I knew you had a feeling you had them number one it, it, for all the reasons you said, man. It's a different experience. If you haven't played an away game at Utah, it doesn't matter the time of day. It doesn't matter the weather. Just the way the stadium is built, the fans are on you. Uh, it's just the way it's structured. I mean, you know, Washington has that a little bit too, but again, it feels like everything about it feels professional. Everything about Utah, it definitely feels like a college stadium. Uh, Salt Lake City doesn't even have that many people in it. I mean, I think I think the population of Salt Lake is something like 160, 170,000. You know, one third of that city is in this stadium every single Saturday. And, uh, and some incredible football has been played there just because they've been as good as they have been uh, for so long. You know, one of the most fun games I've ever seen, uh, you know, uh, they played number four TCU in a game that they lost by 40 and 47,000 people went wild most of that game, you know. And, and, and the fact that they have built-in rivalries that they get to play at that stadium that aren't even part of what goes on at the conference, uh, you know, the fact that they have BYU, um, that they have, you know, uh, teams like, uh, um, you know, Utah State. They're the most teams when they play that those like little games against uh, uh, against you know the lower competition that they're sort of forced to play every other year. And, you know, even even those games are super wild there, and they take those super seriously. Um, that just I think Pac-12 teams have kind of learned what it means to go and play in Salt Lake. Um, over the course of, uh, of the last few years, the stadium is nice. It's nice enough. It's not, you know, it's not too nice. Um, just all that red and green feels like Christmas every time, you know, um, it's, yep. it's a great place to work a game. If your press uh, seems like yeah, a is. fun place to play some of the hardest hits I've ever seen are out there. And they just always have really big, well-developed, well-coached athletes. So 
there's not a lot of bad football that I that that you will ever see played out there. Everything that I've ever done out there is, you know, that the, has always been good memories. Um, and I love it. The fans are insane. They're insane people. And and they cheer really hard for their team. And that makes it a really good experience. The actual, Ralph, the actual number one stadium in the entire Pac-12 is the Rose Bowl. There have been no other place has had as many big games, important games. Uh, I mean, Rose, the actual UCLA playing there but Rose Bowls themselves. You've had national championship games there that were awesome. You, I mean, it's got, you can feel the energy when you're there. It's a huge stadium. UCLA rarely even sells it out, but the history is there. Like you can feel it. You, you know, Keith Jackson was there. You've seen, um, you know, Desmond Howard running on it. Tom Brady played in the stadium. You got, um, you know, some of the great, and then the John Elway. Um, I mean, just so many great players that have played in that stadium, even when their UCLA was not playing. It is incredible. It's in Pasadena. There's great food. You're in LA. I mean, there's nothing better. The only thing that is not great about the Rose Bowl is when UCLA is playing, it is much like USC. It is quiet as a church mouse at times, unless it is third down when they start ringing the bells. And then it's still not as jazzed up as it needs to be. These fans need to be on it and all of that. Um, So there is the 12. So you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Make sure you tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. You have to. The greatest Pac-12 podcast in all the land. We are underserviced. We need we need your support, and we appreciate it. Make sure you tell a friend about it, and hope you guys enjoyed it. Visit unafraidshow.com. Send us an email. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com, or catch me on Twitter at George Reister. Catch Ralph on Twitter at Ralph Amston. We are some of the easiest people in the game to get a hold of, and we will respond. You might not always like the response, but we will respond. Peace out. Catch you guys next episode.